So that might be just the words for you today, that all you needed to hear was that reminder of faithfulness. Thank you, worship team. And, um, and I believe our kids are just dismissed, so they have their special worship time together um, there. And um, just once again, welcome. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. Um, I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. If this is your first time with us, or you've been with us like forever before I was born. I am glad you're here. So, um, so thank you guys uh, for coming today, and I hope that, that today will be just a time of encouragement, of growth, of challenge maybe, and, um, and also connection too, that we believe in, in power of relationships and getting to know one another as the body of Christ, and that goes for wherever you are on your spiritual journey. So just want to welcome you guys in person as well as online. And, um, and so we're in this, this sermon series that we're calling Brain Games and, um, and I think those words of greatest thy faithfulness goes directly with this message today. We're going to actually go into the scripture, believe it or not, that actually comes from scripture, comes from the Bible. Um, but I want to ask you, and this is a little bit of a lighter note, to start out on, um, as we talk about this topic of brain games and mental health and their intersection between life and faith. Um, so I was thinking about this. But what do you think are the most epic movie battle scenes of all time? It's like I said, a little lighter note, maybe lighter note. I don't know, maybe just a little. A little. So think about that. What are some of the things that come to mind, some favorite movies as far as battles go, some of your favorite, favorite stories? Okay, yeah, okay. So I have a couple that came to mind for me. Um, we'll just put those up there, maybe some of these for you. Um, Star Wars, right? New Hope. Classic, classic version, not any of this newfangled stuff, right? Anyway, those classic battle scenes. And who is the other guy with the blue face? Braveheart, right? Our friend Mel. Good old Mel, yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, Braveheart, epic battle scene in that movie. Um, we have a couple more to put up there, some that we're just saying. The Lord of the Rings, I don't know. There's like a special name for that battle. Does anybody know what that is? What is it? Battle of Helm's Deep. Okay, good. Ask Court over here for the answer to there. Um, and then Saving Private Ryan, right? Yeah, which was out of all these is kind of the real, real thing that, that happens. Um, and, and maybe you have some other favorite movie battles that you've watched maybe recently or kind of classic-wise. But um, you know, most of the time they keep you on the edge of your seat. You know, you, 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 whether you know how the story ends, you read the book or seen it before, that kind of thing, um, you know that, that the majority of the time, like, the good guys win, and then the battle ends. Um, but, but the thing is, when it comes to battles, um, sometimes we fight battles we can see, but a lot of times we fight battles that no one can see. Isn't that true? That, that yeah, there are battles that we fight, but uh, most of the battles that we fight no one else can see. And so in this series, um, Brain Games, we've been talking about mental health. Um, it's, it's, mental health is not a common thing that we talk about in church life, um, even when it comes to faith. And that's, I think that's why it's even more so important that we have a conversation like that. And, and today we're going to talk about the battle of depression. The battle of depression. Um, and, and let me just make a note here. Chances are, you, whether you personally or maybe somebody in your family or a close friend or a relationship, probably has faced this battle in some way, in some way. And um, there's a close friend of mine, and, and this is a real person, it's not me, by the way, um, a friend of mine um, who is, um, she's nice, I consider her uplifting, 
She's very generous. She's very talented, especially like musically, um, when it comes to like leading worship and doing things. And, and everybody likes her. She just has this kind of like bubbly personality. Like I don't know anybody that doesn't like her. And the thing is, when it comes to my friend, you wouldn't know that often she has to make the conscious and difficult decision to get out of bed in the morning. You would never know it, never know it in a million years. You would never know that while on the outside she can be smiling, um, inside there's times that she's felt hopeless or empty or dark or afraid. And the thing is, if you haven't experienced depression, if you haven't experienced depression in any way, um, it's easy for, for us to be dismissive. Dismiss it, to say, oh, well, you're sad. Like, uh, you know, look at all the good things. And, you know, we usually say that kind of stuff. Like, look at all the good things going on in your life. Uh, you have everything. Be easier to tell her, like, oh, you have everything. You have a, a, a great job and family and all this stuff. You should just, like, cheer up. It's easy to say those things. Um, but my friend would want you to know, and, and she told me to, to share this with you, that depression is not just sadness. It's not just discouragement. It's kind of like constant darkness, constant darkness, even to the point of not even feeling, not even feeling that there's no motivation to do anything and almost a feeling of no hope. And, and, and what's sad is that, that oftentimes, you know, maybe you've experienced this, maybe a family member, a friend has, oftentimes in church, church should be like the safest place to talk about those things, the safest place to talk about how you're feeling and, and those feelings that she just expressed there, um, yet often that's not the case. There could be like a stigma attached to it. You might feel ashamed, like I don't have enough faith. I should just, maybe there's something wrong with me. My relationship with God is broken. That I, I feel wrong, like you feel guilty, like you're failing spiritually. Or that like Jesus should just make it all better, like that, right? Um, or maybe even like maybe in the context of a group, we talked about this last week, maybe like with some well-meaning people or people that you know, um, you've opened up once and they didn't know what to say to you. And so what happened was you shut down, and you never shared anything ever again. Um, but, but one thing that we, that we can't underestimate, though, is, is the power, though, of a good, kind word from someone caring, some, from someone that can offer encouragement and support without trying to fix the situation. So, so, by the way, this is not meant to be like a depressing message. I want you to leave like, hmm, you know, this is really, really sad today. Um, but I wanna, do want to say that depression is a very complex issue. It's a very complicated thing. And um, every week I have to admit, too, that I am no expert. I am not trained in this as psychologist, psychiatrist by any means. Um, but uh, I am a pastor, and I want to talk today from a spiritual perspective, including some little bit of research in there, um, and really point to the idea, too, that depression does not discriminate. Depression does not discriminate. It can hit anyone at any time for any reason, over the course of your lifetime, even if you're young and, you know, or, or you've never experienced that before, at any time, it does not discriminate. There's no one size fits all. So, um, so what I want to do is, is first to look at um, a couple of roots, root causes of depression. Because I think before we like dive into this, this scripture piece, I think it's important to acknowledge today, um, what are like some of the causes here? And these are listed in your notes if you've got a worship guide coming in. Um, there's little blanks there. Those of you guys online, that's also on our website. You can look at that or print that out. There's, I think, a PDF that's listed there. Um, and, and these are kind of the four root causes of depression. And, and like I said, there's no one size fits all. And sometimes it's multiple. It's like different things like working together. And so the first is like the biological where, where like there's a brain chemical imbalance. Like it's true. It actually happens. 
or, or maybe even something biological like, like being in chronic pain all the time. That can lead to depression, believe it or not. Um, or, or things like, you, uh, that, like nutrition, nutrition, what you put into your body, believe it or not, uh, statistics have shown, research has shown that that can lead to depressive feelings. Um, it could be a hormonal thing, a hormonal imbalance, especially as you age. It could be a sleep thing, um, even linked to, to sunlight. You know, there's that seasonal depressive disorder that some people get. Um, that sunlight over the winter months, like, you know, leads to depression. Um, and, and some of those things, some of those things you can modify or you can get a lamp or, you know, start to eat a little bit better, those types of things. But, but other things um, require a little bit of, of tinkering, you know, seeing a psychiatrist about some of the, the brain chemicals that might be going wonky. But the second piece is the relational cause of depression. Not everything is biological. Uh, it may be relational. Maybe, maybe you've had a long, uh, a problem that's been going, or a struggle with a child in your family or another family member. Um, or maybe your marriage is falling apart or there's a struggle that's going on. Maybe you've been betrayed or rejected by somebody in your life. Maybe you've just been isolated. I mean, we've seen this like over the last couple of years with COVID and all, right? The isolation factor, it really it has roots and it can cause depression. Um, but then there's also circumstantial, circumstantial. Um, maybe the, you've experienced the death or the loss of someone close to you. Or even to the fact that somebody moved away. There's grief in that. Someone close that, that has moved away. Maybe you've experienced trauma. Um, or even a, a change in your life stage, right? That, that maybe your kids are grown and they're gone or they're leaving the house. And you're an empty nester and you can't help but reminisce about the times when they were little. And they were so cute. Or maybe just maybe you cried when the first one went away. But the second one... You decided to have the party and start installing the hot tub, right? <laughs> Just suggesting that there. But anyway, circumstantial. Um, and, then, and then the fourth, not, not la last but not least, is spiritual. It's spiritual, that, that maybe it's a spiritual struggle of doubting God's goodness in your life. Maybe it's one of these other factors and wondering, well, why didn't God do anything to save him or save her? Maybe it's been an unanswered prayer or just feeling alone or maybe just that, that voice, that voice of, I believe, is like the enemy speaking in your mind to say, you're worthless. You can't do anything. You never get it right. All those things together um, that can be causes of depression, one by themselves, but also together, kind of that perfect storm, if you will, that's there. So um, what I want to do, though, is visit someone that encountered uh, quite a few of these at the same time, these, these causes, and, and was a very depressed man of God in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and uh, he was a prophet. He was a prophet, which means that he was, spoke on behalf of God. So God chose him like chose him out of lots and lots of people, God chose him to represent God to his people. And, and so yet, at the same time, this, this guy was also in a very deep and dark and desperate place, right? So that just tells us first, you can be both. You can be chosen by God and be given a test, but you can also have these dark struggles at the same time. And, and this is the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. Well, maybe, maybe there was a bullfrog at some point, but, but Jeremiah was a prophet. Okay, so there's a blank in there. If you are filling in, it says Jeremiah was. Do not put bullfrog. Say blank. Okay, so prophet, prophet, Jeremiah. So, um, and Jeremiah, of course, like we have writings in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, but also 
Jeremiah is responsible for the words of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. Jeremiah, he had the nickname. He had the nickname. I don't know if you have a nickname. Maybe it's good. Maybe you can't speak it in church. I don't know what it is. But whatever your nickname is, his nickname was the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. That, that he cried so much, he was known for his tears. And, and he was depressed. He was very depressed. And, and I want you to give you a little context to understand some of his depression, some of those factors, some of those causes we just talked about that kind of link together. Um, well, in the history of Israel, we have King David. Remember David and Goliath, and David becomes king and that kind of thing. He rises to power. And, and then there's this temple that's built under his son named uh, Solomon, and that, that's really grander and it's just the most amazing kind of period, like the golden age of Israel's history. And, and that temple was a great thing, and Israel was really strong, and the temple stood for like 400 years. Um, but then what happened was there was this group of people called the Babylonians, and they came in, and they tragically destroyed the temple. The temple was destroyed a bunch of times, but this is one of them. In 587 B.C., the temple was just totally destroyed and wiped out. And not only that, not only that, so Jeremiah was alive at this time, and Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of this holy place, this place of God, uh, this tragic, uh, this temple. He witnessed the destruction. At the same time, he also witnessed his loved ones being murdered, like literally right in front of him, like, like just the most awful thing. He watched his friends being taken captive and being taken away by the Babylonians. So basically, everybody loved is like gone. And, and, and then he watched people, other people being deported, being taken out and, and enslaved and and all these things going on. And, and did you know that there's this thing um, called secondhand trauma? Believe it or not, it, like, you know, you know secondhand smoke. You know, you're not the one smoking, but you breathe in. Well, secondhand trauma is when you witness somebody else experiencing direct trauma. You watch them experiencing direct trauma. It's just like a little bit lighter example. You watch someone throw Oreos into the trash can. And you're like, oh my gosh, I love them. How could you ever do that, Right? Or you're at Disney World and you see Chippendale take a break on the side and you watch a child watching Chippendale take a break on the side and you're traumatized because you're thinking through the, the child's eyes and that kind of thing. Uh, and, but of course, there's more serious things. When you witness or you know of someone that has been through a trauma and, and difficulty. But Jeremiah, he saw all this firsthand. People he loved, his, the place that he loved, and he didn't know where to turn, and he found himself without hope. And so if you've never battled depression, if you've never battled depression, the, the, the scripture I'm about to read from Lamentations 3, it's an incredibly accurate description of what someone feels like when they're battling depression. Okay, so let's look at this. These are select verses because um, it's a really, really long passage. So, um, so starting with verses 1 to 2, he says this directly. Jeremiah, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. And then moving on, he says, he has besieged me. He surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I can't escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. Ever felt like that? Verse 17, I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor's gone and all that I hope for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. 
This guy is not singing, great is thy faithfulness at this point. He's in the pit. He's in the pit. I, I mean, what do, you, what do you hear in his words, right? Like, this guy's broken. He's in a dark place. He's hopeless. Uh, it it kind of points to that, that like, type of depression, like circumstantial depression, that everybody and everything has been destroyed. But then there's that spiritual depression there. It feels like God has let him down, that God is absent, that God has abandoned him, that God is causing this to happen. God's wrath is being thrown out upon him. Well, I think he shows us that there's, there's two things to remember when we're battling depression. Two things to remember. And the first thing to remember is that your emotions are valid. Your emotions are valid. Isn't it true many times people can be dismissive of feelings? Very dismissive. Um, but they're always valid. Feelings are always valid. And the second thing is your situation feels hopeless. Your situation feels hopeless. You don't know what to do, where to turn. Maybe you tried to pray. Maybe you tried to read the Bible or worship and nothing seems to work. Um, but, but those two things, though, but what I shared with you just then, those are true, but they're also incomplete. They're incomplete. I want to look at them again. First, your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. Emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. And second, your situation feels hopeless, but with God, there's always hope. With God, there's always hope. So I'm going to dive into these. And, and, and first, uh, about your emotions. So when, when you're hurting, it's really important to name your emotions. Not to ignore them or put them in a little box inside of you and go about your day and that kind of thing. It's important to name your emotions. And it marks the beginning of healing. It, it, it's good to admit, to say, I feel hopeless, I feel PO'd at the world, to be honest. I feel betrayed. I feel numb. I feel afraid. I feel scared. I feel uncertain. Um, and, and so, like, along those lines, speaking of feeling afraid, how many people here are afraid of spiders? Okay, cover your eyes, because we're going to throw one up on the screen there. So, seriously, is that, is that freaking anybody out? Does anybody have to, like, nobody's getting up and walking out, so... I'm okay. So, um, so I want to share with you, uh, this is a really interesting study that was done, not with house spiders, but with, with tarantulas. Um, and, and so um, what, what these researchers did was that they, they showed participants, they showed people that were involved in the study, um, a, a container that had a live tarantula in it. Thank you, Nate, for turning that off. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so they put a tarantula in a container and they had people come in. And they broke them up into the, these people into four different groups, four different experiences. And they gave them each group a different assignment. So the group, first group, they, they told them to see the tarantula and to label what they're feeling. Label to say, what are you feeling? So for instance, they would say something like, I am scared of this little hairy monster. Right? I'm scared of this little hairy monster. So the second group, so first, label what you're feeling. The second group was told just to make surface-level observations. Like, go see the, the hairy thing, the tarantula, and make observations. So, for example, they would say something like, the tarantula is big, the tarantula is in a cage. Like, very just descriptive. Um, the third group, they asked them, say something totally irrelevant. Like, well, see the tarantula, 
Say something totally irrelevant, like, today is Sunday, it may be 87 degrees tomorrow, right? Um, and then the fourth group, they had them come in, see the tarantula, and they told them, just don't say anything at all. So they did this, they ran this experiment, they had the groups come in, say their little things, first, label what you're feeling, the second group, make observations, the third group, say something irrelevant, and the third group, don't say anything. And what they did was they brought them back a week later. They brought them back a week later and exposed them, so get this, they took little hairy monster thing out of the box and they let him crawl around the room and they brought the people in. <laughs> and they brought them in a week later. And then they, what they did was, through that, they had little things hooked up to them. They measure, measured their physiological responses, like, like their sweating rate, their heart rate, um, did they wet their pants, like that kind of thing. And, um, and, and what they did, they discovered that by far, by far, like statistically significant in the, in the words of researchers, statistically significant, by far, those who labeled their feelings, who were in group one, did so much better than everybody else, just by stating what they were feeling. They, they said they were less nervous, they didn't wet their pants, by the way, and get this, some of them were even able to, this is a week later, to pet the tarantula, like, they touched them, right? So if you have, like, arachnophobia or whatever, this might be the cure for that. But it was crazy. And, and, and this and other studies, though, get this, this and other studies have shown, and, and I believe this is kind of how we're wired, how God created us, that naming your emotions opens the door to changing your emotions. you got to name it first. And if you don't know what you're feeling, Google it, right? Google emotions, bad emotions, sad emotions, frustrated emotions. Find one. See, I'm, that's me right now, like, like articulating that. God gave us emotions, and they're valid, but they're not permanent. They're not permanent. And it's important to recognize them and call them by name. And, and even in those things, the, the big thing is, is not to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions, isn't, isn't that true? Like you, like you and I, when we're not like feeling up to it, when we're feeling down in the pit and dark, that is not time to make a permanent decision for your life. So remember, I, someone spoke that to me years ago and it stuck with me and I'm like, hey, when I am feeling frustrated or angry or, or discouraged, or whatever, that is not time to make a major life decision. That, that is not time, for instance, to send the nasty email. Don't do it, Right? Not time to punch a hole in the wall. It's not time to punch a person. It's not time to get drunk or get wasted. Not a good thing. Not a good time to end or to start a relationship. It's not a good time to quit your job. It's not a good time to quit church. And it's not a good time to quit life. So, and that's, and that's the thing, um, you know, just a side note here about, uh, about ending one's life, like even suicide. Suicide, people that decide or, or want to kill themselves, it's not about dying, but it's a desire to end the pain, to end the pain that they're feeling, making a permanent decision based on an emotion that's experienced. Um, but secondly, uh, don't draw permanent conclusions either from temporary emotions. Don't draw permanent conclusions. For instance, you're feeling down. It's easy to say, you fill in the blank here, all blank are like this. All blank are like this. All churches are like this. All men are like this. All women are like this. Every job is going to be like this. Every family gathering is going to be like this. Every time I try something new, it's going to be like this. Or everybody would feel better if I just weren't here. Uh, and those things are not true. 
See, the lies get the best of us when we're down in the pit. And it's okay. It's more than okay to feel the emotion, but not to let it rule you. Not to draw a permanent conclusion or make a permanent decision. But then that second piece there, that, that second truth I think that Jeremiah shows us, is that your situation feels hopeless, but with God there's always hope. There's always hope. See, depression does not remove the hope. It may remove the feeling of the hope, but it doesn't change the actual hope. You might not feel it or believe it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, there was a, a mystic in the 16th century. Maybe you've heard of him if you've done any studies before. His name was St. John of the Cross. Uh, if you haven't heard of St. John of the Cross, you may have heard of what he um, titled his, his writings, The Dark Night of the Soul. And he um, put together this really, this idea of this dark time of feeling like Jeremiah, distant from God, feeling hopeless and helpless. But in those times, he, he talks in his writings about clinging to God in those times. Clinging to God, even when you can't see it, smell it, experience it. And, and that's what Jeremiah does. He, he's depressed, but he turns to God. He turns to God. And remember, remember what he said in, in verse 20? He said, my soul is downcast. My soul is downcast. We kind of ended that section there. But then he goes on here, verses 21 to 23. He reminds himself of this. He says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Remember what we were just saying? This is where it comes from, right? Him writer did not just make that up. This comes from these verses. Because of God's great love, we are not consumed. And the word that's, that's translated love um, from the Hebrew text, that was what this was, he was originally written in, is, is kind of the plural form of the, the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. It's a, it's a powerful word. It's difficult for us to translate in English, to be honest. And it's, believe this, it's in the Bible 248 times. 248 times. And it's really more like a story. It's like a Hebrew story, this word. Um, and translators attempt to define it as loving kindness or mercy or loyalty or, or love. But it's impossible to describe apart from God's character. Hesed is, is the unbreakable devotion to God's promises. His, his everlasting to everlasting faithfulness, despite what we do. His covenantal commitment because of his great love, we are not consumed, and his compassions never fail. And, and the, even that word compassions, that, that translation, the, the Hebrew word is ramah, ramah. And it has the, uh, the same root word is, as the meaning of, of the, the, basically the meaning of a mother's womb. That is, that's kind of the picture that ramah communicates of compassion. A mother's womb, a safe place, a sanctuary where life begins, where life is nourished, where life is protected. So basically what Jeremiah is saying here, what he's illustrating, it's really a picture that he's drawing. Each day is new. That God's grace will never fail you. God's love will never fail you. He gives you grace for today. He gives you daily bread. He gives you his daily presence. And because of that, there's always hope. There's always hope, no matter what. But I think the big question, though, is but then what do you do, Right? What do you do when the whole world feels dark? Well, I think it goes back to what we just said before. First, to acknowledge it, to call it what it is, to stop putting it in the little box deep inside of you and saying, I'm fine, everything's good, um, but to say, I need help. Uh, a week before, we said that reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness, but of wisdom. It's of wisdom, and actually, it indicates strength. 
Uh, and, and maybe it's to, to assess, to realize, like, what may be one of those causes? Uh, can you get back to, maybe, you, maybe you've just been getting three hours of sleep a night. Seriously. Like, maybe you need, to, need seven hours of sleep. <laughs> it could be biological. It could be something to say, hey, this is for a long time. I've been kind of getting deeper and darker. Maybe I need to make an appointment to see someone. Uh, maybe, maybe for you, uh, something that's helpful is to start journaling and to kind of keep track of, of those things in your life that's going on. Uh, we're going to have uh, table groups here in, ta- in Table Life Church, which are kind of like our small group ministry. They're going to be groups that will meet in homes for like six weeks, once a week. And um, maybe for you, it's that sense of isolation. You've been isolated or you, you really you don't have friends. And, and maybe this is a chance to connect or to meet and to say, you know, to lift one another up, to go to one another. Um, that we need people to stand by, to encourage and to pray and to cheer us on. Even as you're going through it, like even, even, even my friend, like I love being able to call her up. I just talked to her the other day. I say, hey, how are you doing? And she'll share with me, hey, this is going really well. And this is one of those things like, like we need cheerleaders in our life. Maybe you're called to be somebody else's cheerleader. Um, that, that Jeremiah, he, he shows us too that, that what this does, kind of the, the, the practices that we implement, the teaming up with others, not trying to do it alone, is it changes our posture. It changes our posture. That, you know, usually you can tell if something is off with someone. Um, say you walked into a room and you see someone sitting at a, at a table there. You can usually tell if something's off with them by what, right? Their posture, their body, their shoulders are slumped, maybe their head is down. Your posture reflects your mood, but posture can also impact your mood too by taking a different posture, And Jeremiah says this in in verses 24 to 26. He says, I say to myself, so if you talk to yourself, it's a good thing. He says it right here. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope and is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But sometimes we have to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves to preach to yourself to, to read maybe even scripture aloud to yourself, to recognize that, that emotions are not permanent, that there may feel like no hope, but with God there's always hope. And depression, depression doesn't change the truth of hope. It only changes how you feel about it, or what you experience. And, and I think for many of us too, that, that it should cause us to reflect, to recognize that, that we need to have grace for one another too. You don't know what someone else is carrying or what they're going through. Going back to battles, somebody may be fighting a battle that you cannot see. To have grace. And going back to my friend, there's been many times over the years that I've prayed for her. I've been afraid for her at times. But she didn't give up. She sought counseling and therapy. She has prescriptions and prayer. She's changed her diet and exercise. She has a wonderful church family that's surrounded her. And God. And I think anybody who has been through the battle knows that it's worth fighting. Because going back to what we said in, in Lamentations 20, verses 21 to 23, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So let's pray today. I'm going to pray for you for the good, kind word. And I also want to pray for darkness to lift.